0: This podcast brought to you by TechSmith. More A3 is software that helps you see things from your customer's point of view so you can make things that are truly fast, powerful, and easy to use. By BlackBot, making the world a better place by providing technology solutions and support to nonprofit organizations around the world. By OptimalSort, with an elegant user interface, powerful analysis, and outstanding support, OptimalSort can help you run card sorts better than you ever thought possible. By PowerMapper, mapping your site has never been easier. PowerMapper extracts links from each page of your site until it's mapped your entire site, providing you with a complete inventory. By Axure, enabling information architects and user experience professionals to design efficiently, experience their designs, and clearly communicate them, ensuring more useful and usable applications. And by Boxes and Arrows. Since 2001, Boxes and Arrows has been a peer-written journal promoting contributors who want to provoke thinking, push limits, and teach a few things along the way. For other events happening all over the world, be sure and check out events.boxesandarrows.com. The book, as a form factor, has been around for about 2,000 years, ever since Julius Caesar first decided to fold up a scroll accordion style and mark the pages for later reference. In 1455, Aldus Manutius was the first to publish the portable paperback, and it has remained relatively unchanged ever since. In an interactive format, founder and chairman at X-Plane, Dave Gray, explore several questions about the future of the book and the web browser. I hope everyone enjoys the
1: podcast. Cheers. This is me. My name is Dave Gray. I'm going to talk a little bit about about what I do because um, it's kind of unusual, I think. Um, I'm the founder and the chairman of a company called Explain. And what we do is uh, we call ourselves a visual thinking company. These are some of our clients here. Um, We work with companies all over the world. And we, what we do is we take, many companies are drowning in information. So this paper, all this stuff represents information. Now, this paper, this um, uh, documents and so forth. And they represent things that people, companies are trying to move meaning around. And, uh, but in any company, really, the most valid and valuable information, really, where it lives, is in people's heads. And more and more, people are having less and less um, time and energy for uh, looking at this documentation. Raise your hand if you are over-documented. You've over-documented something. You have too many documents that you have to read. Um, you have rules that you don't understand. I mean, how many people know their, um, how their benefits program works at their work? Raise your hand. Huh. <laughs> Nobody. I got a pile of this, this high of that stuff. I haven't read one piece of it. Um, so there's a lot of brain science in what we do, actually. Um, but what we do is we start by taking the people who are the experts and helping them get that information out of their heads and onto some kind of paper or some way make it explicit and get it out there. So we basically, in in many cases, we just say screw all that documentation. You know, we're hired by somebody, they want us to uh, take that stuff and and make it easier to understand. So first thing we do is throw it all away. Uh, Start with the people, start with the brains. Um, Then what we do is we take that stuff, we work with them to take that stuff, get it up on the screen and start to organize it visually spatially. Um, Then we work with them to start to visualize it. So we take that information and start to make pictorial representations. What does this mean? What does it mean in real life? How does that that work? And the result of that is something that I like to think of as like a napkin sketch. In the same way that a napkin, uh, you you might have a napkin, uh, let's say you're in a a restaurant. Um, You're working with... um, uh, you're talking about something that's a little bit more complex than you can actually um, describe verbally. So you use salt and pepper shakers, or you use um, uh, sketches or napkins or the placemat. And you start drawing around, drawing pictures on it. Um, and what happens? Helps the conversation, right? By the way, if you have questions or you, you want to shout something out, go ahead and interrupt me. I'm good at dialogue, <laughs> better than standing on stage. Um, so the problem with the napkin sketches. The day after, you go to the restaurant you pick up that placement or you look at it and it doesn't have any meaning. Because it's not just the sketch. It's the whole conversation around the sketch that contained all the meaning in the dialogue. So um, this is what we do at my company. We create these documents that represent the rich information, kind of the way it lives in people's minds. And uh, this idea of it being like a, um, uh, a document that lives and has a story written around it. So here's another example. Do stuff for healthcare. Do stuff for you know various things, and they're they're actually meant to be documents that have a kind of a rich, a holistic uh, way of describing what's going on. So context. Why am I here? I'm kind of a wild card usually when I come into these um, situations because I mean uh, it's I'm like you guys. What do I do? Who am I? <laughs> what do we do? I don't know. Uh, but for context. So I, I said, I, I'm going to do, you know, what do you, it was like the deadline, and I got the email from Jorge, um, you, what are you going to do? I mean, what are you going to talk about? It's, time's up. <laughs> so I said, OK, um, well, what about you know the, 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 uh, the browser, and the internet, and web design, and all these things we're trying to do. Uh, what if we take a look at, at history? You know, you got the book. Uh, the book's been around for a long time. People still love books. Um, you know, what? maybe we could take a look at the book and, and, and its properties <laughs> and compare them to the browser. So, and I, so I thought, okay, so that's what we're going to do. Um, so context, what, what do I see going on in the world? Um, for the first time, people are wanting to take, I mean, a majority, more and more people anyway, are wanting to take the internet around with them. So we used to be we would go to the internet, and now we want to carry it around. I think the iPhone has a lot to do with that. Um, what's kind of made that um, kind of, uh, something that people want to do, so um, David Armano, where are you, David? Yeah, was talking about micro hi. Hi. <laughs> he was talking about micro content so uh, there 's this Twitter you, you upload stuff off your mobile phone, you you grab stuff, you move little tiny bits of information 're starting to move around uh, here 's a map here 's where I am come see me'm at here 's the closest Starbucks um, you know yesterday i I uh, forgot to bring my um, I forgot to bring my itinerary with me. I printed it out and I left it at home. And uh, so I got into the airport and I had to send out my Twitter, who knows where this hotel is, so I can find my way. Um, Social networks, so all this stuff's happening, we're connecting with all these people. Um, Devices, it's it's a plethora of devices. It's a cornucopia of devices. I mean, they're tiny, they're all over the place, they're changing, I mean, I don't know how you guys can do what you do and design stuff that's going to work on all these different devices. It's insane. Um, and then there's impatience. And this is where, you know, people are just, you know, they don't want to um, learn something. So you got a new device, it better not come with a manual, right? I mean, it better be ready to work out of the box. People are going to be really pissed off if it doesn't. And they probably, you know, I think they'll, they'll Twitter about it and they'll blog about it, and it'll be the end of your device. So. Um, All these things, I think, are the trends. This is kind of the background context. I think within this world, there's a huge opportunity, though, for uh, us to create the content, the interfaces, and the devices for being people who want to be portable. You know, the portable internet. You know, the iPhone's a start, but I think the iPhone is only a start. And the GPS in your car is a start. But, you know, and when you still look around, I mean... People, I think, I see a lot of books on paper and pens and so forth in the audience today, and we're, the, we're on the bleeding edge of this stuff, right? We're still using paper. Okay. Anyone want to guess when this book was printed? Someone take a guess? <laughs> That's pretty close. Uh, about 1,500, I think. Uh, but it's not that different from a modern book, is it? I mean, just look at the size of it. This was by uh, Aldous Minutius, the Italian uh, guy. And uh, the Gutenberg Bible was printed around that 1450 something, and that was actually kind of more big and clunky than this one. But it's so small, so portable, and yet, and and so these things haven't changed that much in 500 years. That's about it's it's a good size to carry around with you, isn't it? It's a portable size. It's it's bigger than an iPhone, but when it, it it's and it's easy to carry around. But when you open it up, it's actually quite generous in terms of its screen real estate. Okay, so raise your hand if you print stuff out in order to read it. Wow, and look around as I do this, okay? Um, Raise your hand if you have a book, notebook, sketchbook, something like that with you today, paper I'm talking about. Okay, and raise your hand if you just love books for whatever reason. (laughs) Okay, it's like overwhelming, right? We love books. We do not want to give up our books. We love them. Why do we love them? What is so great about a book? Anyone want to... It doesn't have, right yeah, no cords. You know, you know it, instant, instant boot. No it's instantly on. What's that? No firmware. <laughs> no firmware. A book, your book, a book that you have in your hand today is going to be readable 100 years from now. And can smell it. what's that? Can smell it. You can smell it. That's right. And, you know, try, try using a, your USB drive 100 years from now. But your book will still work, right? Okay. Browser in the book. So, in a lot of ways, they're do, trying to do the same thing, right? So, this picture up here I have of the, the planet is, just represents all the information that, that we are collecting and making, these life streams, um, life trails that we're creating. Um, all this stuff has to be somehow put into some kind of package. And an author uh, it does this with a book, right? And you guys do it with the internet. So, somehow, it's got to be you've got to have a reader and you've got to have an author. Um, So I think there's like a couple of very simple cognitive dimensions, I mean, um, Marshall McLuhan said the medium is the message, right? There's the medium, which is like the box, you know, the device, the package, including the browser and and, and everything associated with it, or the book, it's the package that you put the stuff in, and the content is the ideas, the stuff that you put into the book. I mean, everybody knows you're you're not Alfred Hitchcock if you just have the movie playing in your mind. You're only Al- Alfred Hitchcock if you can actually get the team together and put it on film. Excuse me. Um, so these are the two cognitive dimensions I want to talk about, re- respective to the book. So f- start with the medium. There's the shape of the object, the kinds of interactions you can have with it, uh, the things that it makes it easier, difficult for you to do. Um, so a book, you can drop it. You can spill wine on it. You can, and these are all things I've done, by the way. You can read it in the tub. Tested all of them. Um, you, you can turn the pages in the book. You can, you can have serendipitous access to a book. You can, it can fall open. Um, it's read-writable. You can pick up a pen, a pencil. You can write in a book. Um, you know when you're near the beginning, and you know when you're near the end. Because it gets thinner as you get near the end. I was, remember I was talking to the guy who cuts my hair uh, about e-books. And he's like, I hate them because I just ends. I'm reading a thriller. And I just reached the last page, and it ends. I want to know, you know when it's getting thinner. I had someone else say, well, I've, I'm, on a, I'm, I'm reading a book, and I'm on an airplane, and I'm near the end. I can feel that I'm near the end of this great book. I stay and, I, I stay and finish the book because I can feel how close I am to the end. Um, you can dog ear. You can tag a book. You can write in it. You can mark the pages, fold pages. You can actually physically interact and manipulate a book. Um, it's portable. I do believe there is an ideal size for a portable device. I think, um, you know, maybe, maybe it's like this size, you know, because you can open it and it have a pretty nice screen. Um, and there's a sensory appeal to the object itself. Someone mentioned the smell of a book, the feel of it. Um, you can fall in love with a, a, a book. Um, study the past. Okay. This is a timeline. If anyone wants it, uh, let me know. I can send this out to people. Uh, but this timeline is, uh, I won't, I'm not going to go over it in detail. But basically, it's about a fifth, you know, if you, you want to start with the papyrus, it's about a 4,000 year history. You want to start with the first thing that's kind of like paper. And the first stage of paper was loose leaves, so just loose sheets. We would write on them like this. This is a medical text. It still looks, even though it's a loose sheet, it still looks kind of like a book, doesn't it? It's got two columns. It's like facing pages. Um, we still use paper, of course. We carry it around. It's got a lot, a lot of portability, got a lot of great um, interactions that you can do with it. You can move stuff around, organize it. Um, I wish I could afford a screen that was, a touchscreen that was that big, but I can certainly still afford paper that's that big. Um, and if you look at what we're doing on the internet or on our desktops, it's still a lot of it's like loose leaves, loose sheets, we're moving around. We call them windows. Uh, they are windows, but they're also like sheets of paper, right? Okay. Um, the scroll. So the scroll was also a very early uh, thing. It was pretty, pretty simultaneous with, uh, with, uh, with pages. Okay, so scrolls, you roll through them. You've got to look at a certain point. You can't very easily jump to one end or the other. Um, this is the first printed book from 860... Eight, I believe. It's block printed, and it was a scroll in China. So I I, I challenge every speaker to have some reference to ancient China in their slides. We've had this. I'm now the third, so everyone has, so I challenge you all. Um, We still use scrolls today, although not so often. Um, But what's a web page? It's a scroll, right? Most web pages. We're still in the the days of the scroll on the Internet. That's like in in the... In the book, uh, you know, in the context of the book, that's less than halfway there. Okay, what is this? Anyone know what this is? Sort of. PDA. Stylus, that's right. This is called a wax tablet. Um, This was around since about 600 B.C. And basically, it's like facing pages. It's wood, and you have soft wax in there and you, it's like a, a notepad, just like a pad like you're carrying around. You write in it, and you write your grocery list or your letter to your friend. You close it up, send it to your friend. Your friend writes something back. In fact, one of the famous ones is from the Iliad. The, the guy opens the thing and sa- it said, um, kill the guy who brought you this tablet. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. So careful what you carry. Uh, but here's, these are modern-made facsimiles, because the old ones are kind of broken and kind of, not as pretty as these, but these are, these are what they used to look like. I mean, it looks pretty modern. When I set out to do this talk, I didn't know any of this stuff. So this, this is the first time I'm doing this, by the way. And um, uh, I found, I, I wasn't sure I would get any insights, but actually there were some interesting ones. So not too different, right? Um, Julius Caesar, supposedly, in, in the, the story is, invented the book, uh, the folding book, because he was invading France, what's now France, and he had these scrolls, and they were kind of unwieldy to carry around. And so he would, he would fold them, and he would give scrolls to his troops. And the idea was um, he could reference the pages much more easily. So instead of saying, somewhere in the middle of the scroll, he would say, the, third, the second column on the third fold of the scroll that I sent you is you know, what I want to refer to now. So instead of having to send this big scroll back and forth, he could actually reference the pages. No, I don't, nobody knows if that's true, but it's a story. Um, more ancient China, so this, this is a, an early innovation from the scroll to the folding uh, pages. This is a, the Mayans did the same thing with uh, bark, so the Mayans had books as well. Um, and we still do it today, right? So, I mean, how might, how might you apply this as an information architect? Um, one thing you can't do very easily on the web or in, digitally or in a book is compare pages compare things. And comparisons is a really important part of thinking. So um, here you have, you know, what if you say you wanted to compare pages 1 and 8 of a document, maybe you could create, you know, you could use that idea online. Just some, some thoughts. There's something called the Whirlwind Scroll that came from the 6th century. Basically they're pages and they're um, bound together, they're basically all different lengths. So this, you could say, might be your first tabs, you know, your first, and in fact this is not a very common type of scroll, but it was um, exclusively and only used for reference works. So all these things are reference uh, documents. So it makes sense that a tab is associated with reference. That's a picture one, and you know we still do it, right? This this just guy in streets of New York with his blueprints, but it has got a whirlwind scroll there, and uh, if it was windy, he'd have some trouble with it. Okay, so tabs, codex is the form. That's the name for the form of the book. In its current state, as we currently know it, um, this is an old one. Um, this is a page from the Gutenberg Bible. Does anyone have any observation about this page that they want to share? Anything interesting? It's a page from the Bible. Pardon? Columns? Okay. Justified decorations. What's not there? What's missing that you would expect? Back button. <laughs> Back button. Page numbers. That's right, they didn't, have, they didn't think of page numbers. We printed the book. We had the book for 500 years and we really hadn't quite thought of page numbers yet. There's no chapter and verse numbers either. They didn't think of that. I mean, imagine all the things we haven't thought of yet. I mean, the book was around for 500 years on the wax tablet for, for 600 years before that. And, and here we are printing, we got to the printing press and we still didn't think to number pages We didn't have tables of contents, we didn't have indices, because the book came from the background of the scroll. You can't index a scroll because you you can't flip the pages back and forth. It's a linear text. And so um, when we invented the book, it was still uh, religious text mostly, and the religious texts were intended, I guess at that time people thought, to be read linear order, front to back. So, this idea of the metadata, the table of contents, the indices, the page numbers, only became common practice around the 1500s. And that's actually the, the point that I, I want to hone in on the most uh, related to how we deal with content on the web today. Um, annotation, so writing in books. It was a common practice. In fact, it was, it wasn't, uh, it was only came to be considered uh, evil at about the time we started to have public libraries not surprisingly. Um, but until, up until that point, it was actually, if you had a book, you were kind of, you know, it was ex- sort of expected that you were going to add to it or contribute to it in some way. Um, this is a guy named Erasmus, a theologian and a humanist. But here's, here's something that he wrote. Striking passages should be indicated by some appropriate mark. Um, not only must a variety of m- marks be used, but appropriate ones so that they will immediately indicate your purpose. And, you know, we train students to do, to mark up their textbooks. And students it does aid memory, and it also um, and uh, uh, annotation, I think, is something um, we really don't do as well on the web today as we could. Um, so this is the condensed version of that timeline. The scroll, the tablet, the codex, and the metadata. These are kind of the four big, I think, phases in the development of the book. And I think probably we're in the, on the internet, we're, even though we have things that we call metadata, I think we're still more in, around the year zero there in terms of the development of how we access the internet and how we access the web and how we interact on the web. Um, so there's this cognitive comfort of uh, a spread. You open two pages of a book, it's not overwhelming. It's comfortable. You know, My, my, my computer desktop doesn't feel comfortable like the way a book does. Um, even the scrolls, the columns on the size of on, on most scrolls are about the same size as a typical column. They're about maybe two to four inches wide and about eight inches high. So they, they were relatively book-sized. Even on a long scroll, you're looking at columns that are kind of chunking the information at a, at a cognitively comfortable level. Um, so these are just some examples of that. You know, the pages help. Pages help doing that. And the idea of flipping backward and forward helps that too. Um, all right, so we talked about the, uh, the medium, right? That was the medium. Now let's talk about the content. So the medium, is, remember, is the box. What's the device, the box, the browser, the book, all this stuff, your iPhone? What about the content? What about the stuff that you want to flow into the box? Um, you've got to get stuff into the box, and then you've got to get stuff out of the box. You're the, you know, the designers, the content creators, the authors, got to put stuff in, and then it's got to be, you know, let's say the consumers of the information, they've got to pull stuff out and interact with it in some way. Um, so the book has some advantages. It's got, you know, it's all, it's completely fully 100% integrated. It's actually an unfair advantage, isn't it? I mean, a book is, one of the reasons a book can be so good at all these things is because you have the software, the hardware, the reader, all completely bundled into one thing. It's pretty indestructible. It's also not very fluid, right? You can't, I mean, in some ways it's fixed when it's printed. Um, The... um, on the browser side, the browser's kind of in this uncomfortable, uh, middleman uh, kind of position because you've got the device that's used to author the content, to create the content. And then uh, that could be any device, it could be anything, it could be your iPhone. Um, then you have the content, then you have to somehow package it up into the browser and then the browser's got to display it on probably another device. Um, okay, so, one makes you happy the other one makes you make, can light, make life a little more difficult. All right. Uh, so, content. Let's talk about content almost before we had mediums, right? There's an oral, oral tradition in ancient Greece. And, um, uh, and, and probably going far earlier than that. Uh, but in the oral tradition, you have mnemonic devices, you use visual imagery, lots of repetition. And what's happening is that the bard or whoever the storyteller is, is actually using all those devices not only to remember, but to keep people anchored to an imaginary space, an imagination space. The wine dark sea. We're back in the, you know, we're back in the uh, home of uh, Odysseus, and he's, you know, the people, uh, the uh, the suitors playing uh, dice on the front steps, and you know, all these kind of things. Um, so, uh, this imagination space, I think, is really important when it comes to content. Um, the nature of composition. You know, there's something this guy, I had to write his name down there because I'll forget it otherwise, Tor Noretranders. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, But he wrote a book um, that you can probably Google or Twitter. But um, he talks about something called the tree of talking. And I think it applies to all composition. So the tree of talking is, when you say a word like horse, you're actually, it's one word, but you have a huge amount of mental representations of what that means. You know, you had a wonderful... Experience as a child riding on a horse a wonderful experience and then you package it up into that word horse And then you say it and someone hears it and they unpack it and they were trampled by a horse in their childhood And they have a horrible experience Well, you know, we have experiences we're using these words to connect, but it's all about Packing and unpacking even in a conversation We pack it up and we deliver it and then somebody has to unpack it and they're comparing our experiences I mean, Jason was talking earlier about experiences. I think it's, uh, this packing and unpacking has a lot to do with it. Um, so, but authors don't write sequentially. I, I write stuff, I'm, I'm also an artist. I don't start, you know, I don't start a painting in the upper left and work my way down to the lower right. That's not the way it works and I don't write stuff that way and I don't know anyone who does. You, you're packing stuff up, you're looking at it, you're sketching, you're scribbling, um, this is me working on this talk, right? You're 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 moving around ideas. It's much more fluid than just um, you know you you start at one end and you write. Um, this is Matt, Matthew Milan. Are you here? Raise your hand. <laughs> okay, he shared with me his process of, of working on on websites and working on talks and stuff. He's using sticky notes. Um, you know, he's moving. He's flipping stuff around. Um, he's he's m- making stuff that's mobile and, and he can work with it. All right, so here's my big, uh, my big point. Maybe controversial, but I think we've, right now, the internet, we've done a really good job of making a really, really good filing cabinet. I mean, it's great. You know, we can go and we can pull stuff out of the cabinet, it's huge, it has all the information in the world, we can pull stuff out of it and then we can file it ourselves. And that's pretty much what we get to do. I'm right, like pull it out and, oh, I'm gonna tag that, and we file it, and we'll share our, our tagging with each other, right? Um, but this is not a, a space that supports imagination and creativity. I mean, I can, I, can, I can watch a YouTube video, and I can give it five stars, or I can um, leave a comment, or I can leave a video comment. But, that's kind of creative, but that's reaction. That's a reaction. That's not creativity. Um, so I, I propose to you if the internet, where the big opportunity is for us, is to create support for imagination. Um, this is a friend of mine. He's a writer. His name's Thomas Crone. Um, and he's using, as you can see, paper there. You can tell I took this in the evening. Um, but this is kind of a typical thing that he's doing, right? He's, he's working on, he's editor for a magazine, so he's kind of thinking about how is this stuff going to go in the magazine. The internet doesn't support him for this kind of activity right now. Um, so let's talk about creation. So, when we, this is, this is just a drawing of someone browsing the internet, right? So, you, you walk, you, you click around the internet, right? And 90% of the stuff that, that's going on is the roads you did not take. Does that make sense? So, you I mean all these things you didn't click? On every website, there's probably 10, 100 links. All these roads you didn't take. And then the trail that you leave, the track, which is like uh, David was calling your live stream. Um, Well, we're creating maps and stories as we walk around the internet. We, the browser gives me a history of that, but as David said, I think it was David, you want to be able to take that live stream and actually work with it. That's a, that's a novel. Could be. It's a, it's a track that you left as you were going through the internet. Now, why not give him, or me, or us, the ability to work with that and create with that, the way an artist would on a canvas, or the way a writer is when they're working on a novel. Give us support for creating things that are deeper and richer than a blog post and just everything going in sequential order the way my life does. Give us some, give us some ability to do things with that. Uh, maps, have been around for a long time. This is a map of the internet. I thought they had stopped trying to map the internet, but this one is 2006, pretty recent. Um, so, well, you know, we can think of, we can think of um, I was going to say maps and stories, right? So we can think about these things in both a spatial way and a, in a temporal way. I hadn't heard about spime, spimes before, but that's, I think, an interesting concept because a story is uh, a narrative that, that unfolds in time and a map is a landscape that maybe unfolds in space. And both of those paradigms work really well for the internet. So if we, let's take it as a landscape for a second, walking through, leaving a trail. Um, one advantage of the internet is we can have as many realities as we have people. So if we wanted to map the landscape of the internet, you can have a map. You, know, you can have a map. Your group of friends can have a map of all of our trails and how they, or the whole world can have a map of where everybody's going. We can have as many realities as we can imagine. Um, so you know, what, if, what if we could actually look at our landscape? What if we could take a look at it and you know, see what the centers of gravity are? Maybe this is a page that I, I go to a lot and I like it. And, when I'm within five links of it, maybe the browser will let me know. Hey, you're, you're close to this place. Or maybe I just went there once and I love it, and I want to be able to kind of pull it down. So it will pull me in, it'll, it'll create a center of gravity. So if I'm ever anywhere near it, the browser will tell me, hey, you remember that place, you're near it. Um, or paths, so g- grooves that we wear, just like we, when we're walking in a real landscape, we leave a, a path, that's how we, that's how, um, the city near where I grew up, Boston, that's how Boston was built. they basically cattle trails, right? Um, random walks. Matthew shared this idea with me of a random walk. Sometimes you just need to get, you know, take a random walk. And st- we have stumbled upon for that. Which I think pretty good way to give you a random walk. Um, maybe the browser can pull you out. Ten minutes. Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, if questions, again, shout them out. So different ways you could visualize that. Um, stories, so there's maps and also stories. You think of these things as, um, let's say, an authoring trail, right? You're, you're clicking around. So here's an example of, you go to a couple, you open up your tabs as you're going through your day, right? And then this one, you open it up, and it's like, oh wow, this one is a good one, because you, you got like four other tabs that came out of that one. Um, and this one is pretty good, because you got two tabs, and, but you don't see that. You just see these tabs open. You don't see that there's a pattern that's being created here. Um, Whoops, sorry. You you know, we could have, why not just give me a table of contents here? I just created a table, I just created a story today with all the places that I went. Why not give me a table of contents and allow me to be able to move, you know, say, rearrange it, compose with it a little bit. Um, There's this really, this is one of the most interesting things i found in this journey through the history of the book, this process called interleaving. When in the 1700s when you bought a book, you didn't actually buy it already bound in many cases. You bought just the loose sheets and you would take it to a bookbinder and you'd get it bound. And if you wanted to, because remember this is before public libraries so this is back when annotation and writing in books was pretty common, um, if you wanted to you could have, ask the bookbinder to interleave it and that meant that you would put a blank sheet between every two sheets. So uh, when you're looking at the left hand page, your right hand page would be blank. When you're looking at the right-hand page, your left-hand page would be blank. So you'd have a whole sheet to write your thoughts, and you'd base, basically your 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 journey paralleled the author's journey, and you would be able to um, create a narrative as you went. All right, so we could inter- we could interleave web pages, couldn't we? Very easily. You know, what if what if what if I have one, you know, and we do this, right? I mean, I know people who do this with browsers. They have Microsoft Word, and they squeeze it. And they have the browser, and they squeeze it. Or they have two browser pages, and they pull them up. But we could make it easier for people, couldn't we? I mean, um, I, I have a tablet PC. I love it. I think they're, um, I think they're closer to you know, the experience of a sketchbook than a lot of things that I've ever seen. Um, why Wouldn't it be nice if I could just drag stuff over, you know, uh, make my notes? You know, with my stylus on there, um, and keep that trail, and then be able to rearrange the table of contents and so forth, so I can actually start to use the internet to create instead of to read and react. Um, imagine, think of it as a browsing area and a composing area. What you're actually reading and what you're experiencing and what you're creating at the same time. Um, just what it might look like, right? Just page. Wow, it would be nice. Could I? Can I? Can I actually, with my stylus, would it be nice if I could actually underline a page on a web? site, and the website could remind me of that. Um, by the way, probably 90% of the stuff already exists. I just don't know about it. So I'm curious to hear from people to tell me about it. Um, and that's the problem, too, though. If I can't find it, and I don't know it exists, it's not really helping me, is it? So that's where marketing comes in, David, right? <laughs> OK. Um, here's, this, here's an example. You know, this, uh, you know facing pages. And look at this thing. This is this is an old. This is a very old. I think this is a Gutenberg Bible. But look at how much no. You know nobody would write in a Gutenberg Bible today. You know you'd go to jail for that. But look at it. This is a Gutenberg Bible. <laughs> um, there's only like 64 in the world, I think. Okay, so I think we need to unpack this this end of it a little bit. I think we do. We're doing a pretty good job for the creators. Now, I think we can still do better for that, but this whole creator consumer thing, you know, we talk about connecting people and so forth. I think we, could, we need to really actually enable these people as creators, not just to, um, you know, not just to send a Twitter, not just to, you know, send a, um, a photo of, here's, I'm in the supermarket, look at what I'm looking at. Let's help them really create something more meaningful. So I think part of it is what I'm talking about is on this side of the browser. You know, when we look at readers, you know, how do, we, how do we really enable them to get creative, to do things that in, involve multiple web pages? So, let's say you're the Dell, you're doing the Dell website, well, you've got to, I think, if you're going to really, we're going to enable people on this stuff, you've got to be thinking beyond the Dell website, you've got to be thinking, you might just be a chapter in my book, you might be a section, you might be a little piece. You can't control it all, so we have to look at things like web services. I think, in this other stuff, to say, how do we enable people to create stuff where we might only be a part of it, but we want to enable them to, uh, kind of like you were saying with the brand, you know, the facilitator. We want to facili- find ways that we can facilitate people to, to create cool stuff. Am I good on time? OK, let's do some questions. OK, so, and I did a logo. If anyone wants to do this, I made a logo for you. <laughs> Web 2.0. <laughs> um, so you know let's let 's help my friend Thomas you know so he can actually do this kind of stuff on the internet, so he 's not stuck on paper because we know we all know what the advantages are of the internet, right? We can share stuff, we can move it around. Um, I did most of these uh, sketches for this talk, but I did them on my tablet i, I didn 't do them on paper because it was much easier to put them into uh, PowerPoint slides and so forth um, so here's i 'm going to close with this one. This is Leonardo. Try making. If, try being an ordinary citizen and doing that in your web browser today. Even if you were Leonardo, let's just presume that you have that creative innate ability and talent. I think we'll, we'll, we'll know we're getting somewhere when, when someone can get on a web page and create like that, you know, that intuitively, that naturally. So, any questions? Challenges? Angry, happy... Agreement. Yes. A library in the digital world. Uh, someone was, uh, who was talking to me about this? Um, someone, oh, someone was talking about a library. Well, the internet would be like, the internet's like a library that's full of strings. <laughs> you're trying, there's strings connecting all the different books and all the different pages. It's like this tangled, you know, library. And you're never going to, you're hardly ever going to find things by accident. And in a library, what what a library does really well, as do books, is this thing uh, I think of as serendipitous access. You know, you you go to the card catalog in a library, even though nobody does that anymore. You go, you find the book, but really, it's actually three books away is the book you really want. Now, if, in, on, in, in the internet, if there's no link to that book that's three books away, you're, you're never going to see it. So you don't, you don't really have this, um, uh, at least as far as I know, this serendipitous access. Michael. Michael Dela, everyone. Michael says there is serendipitous access on the internet, and I have to agree. I stand corrected. Absolutely. <laughs> I was wrong yes yeah I agree that was more of a comment than a question but I'll repeat it for those who couldn't hear um, they're working with all kinds of um, different kinds of interfaces for things like mobile phones where we actually do scroll them like a scroll and um, she had a couple of other examples but that they actually can interact with them wear them um, one example that I know of is uh, someone um, Nokia is one of our customers and someone was talking about this uh, woman who is an interaction designer and she had just you know, you, you, you don't always, you don't, you're not always knowing how much battery you have left on your phone. So she had designed this thing on your, web, on your, on your phone where if you shook it um, and there was a lot of charge, it would feel like it was really full of coins or something. And if it, if it, if it was running out of batteries, it would sound like, cling, cling, cling. Like a little, like you, there's hardly anything left in there. Um, any other questions? Yes, there's a lot of questions. Well, I love, the, I love Scott McCloud, and I love his books. The question is, what do I think of the Google uh, doing the comic book for Chrome? Uh, yes, I do believe, I mean, that was pretty simple in its access, right? I mean, it's like a PDF file, really, or you could kind of click back and next. Um, I think that, you know, um, making stuff more visual, making it simpler, making it easier for people to go around, um, I, I think that was a great thing, and I, I mean... I. I wouldn't be doing my company probably if I didn't think there was going to be more need for giving people, you know, if you do have something that's slightly, potentially confusing or complicated, sometimes you have to explain something that's new and why it's, what it is about it. And with people being, this impatience thing I was talking about earlier, people getting, being less and less patient for stuff, I think you want to be able to create opportunities for them to um, just get in a little, get that depth, but get it much quicker. Oh, yeah. What do I see as gravity? That's a great question. I'm just going to take a picture of you all, OK? I never get to do this. Wave at me, everyone. <laughs> Hello. Um, so <laughs> creating content, leaving a trail. Um, I think for me, gravity is like, um, well, here's my example. Here's what, what triggered the idea for me. Um, ha- ha- raise your hand if you've done this. I found an awesome web page okay and I go to my delicious and I go oh, I gotta tag this I gotta remember this web page and I've been there before I like opens up yeah, raise your hand if you've done this right um, yeah I've been there probably 20 times before right so but my browser doesn't have any sense of the gravity of that place it's it's times 20 I've been there before I forgot I, you know I, I never go back through my delicious tags I don't know why I'm obsessively tagging stuff you know I book, buy a book on amazon i don 't even read it, but I feel like I accomplished something because I bought the book right I mean have you done this <laughs> uh, and delicious tags i mean they 're the same sometimes the same kind of thing right so if you're if there 's a way for us to enable people to to and we 're walking around the internet it 's completely um, it's uh, it's amorphous it 's this digital world we don 't have these same tangible associations that we have in the real world, and these things are um, you know, 99% of your consciousness, believe it or not, is um, of, of, of your awareness is subliminal, is not conscious. Uh, and I can give you brain science on this, but it's true. You, you The difference between dreaming and consciousness is a thread. It's a thread. Your brain, most of your consciousness is actually being made up in your brain based on what you have seen in the past. And so... All the subliminal stuff, like we know the way out of this room, all the things that are going on around us, uh, we don't consciously think about, but they make our experience richer. And the books offer a lot of this stuff. And the internet, because it is so intangible, um, we need ways to feel it, you know, to to actually, um, to, um, what do they call it, bubble up or, uh, we need ways for the internet to actually um, work with us, our unconscious minds, the 98% of our mind that's actually, you know, folk not paying attention but is aware of everything else in the room. So, I think we'll close. So, thank you very much. Um, it's my email. So, um, you're all free to contact me by email, and that's my uh, my blog address up there too.